Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. We live in a culture where people are living for the weekend. Anybody living for the weekend? My dear niece, Avery Rose Sizemore, has brought many sayings to our family. And one of my favorites was a few years ago, she would say this saying. She used it mostly when there were things that she really liked or things that she wanted. And so if she liked ice cream or something like that, she would say, I want ice cream every single day. Or let's go to the park every single day. And it was, it was a phrase, let's go to Kings Island every single day. So in honor of her this morning, I want to preach on this subject every single day. No, uh, I want to preach on the subject every day. If you want to say it like Avery, every single day. Every single day. Our biblical story today takes place on the Sabbath day. And this is a week in the Jewish Uh, a weekly Jewish day that is distinguished as a day of rest. And so Luke chapter 6, verse 6, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to put it on the screen for you in the English Standard Version. But it says this about this particular story. On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand Was withered. Now, as we go through this story this morning, there are two plots happening in these verses. It's the plot of Jesus and the Pharisees, so you're going to see that plot. And then it's the plot of Jesus and the man with the withered hand. They seem to go, kind of goes back and forth in this story, but I would like to try to present that both of these perspectives matter. So we're introduced to this man with the withered hand. We don't know why he has a withered hand. Could have been that he was born with a withered hand. It could have been that he had an accident that caused his hand to be withered. It could also be his own mistake. Maybe he did something that caused his hand to be withered. We're not sure. We're not given these details. Matthew and Mark just speak of it as a withered hand. It was Dr. Luke who would write that it was a right hand. On the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. Then it says the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. They watched the man with the withered hand and watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Now, quickly, they were in the synagogue. This is not the temple. This is a smaller synagogue where anybody could gather, anybody could be a part. It was kind of a local community gathering and assembly. And so 
these scribes and these Pharisees, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. Now the question comes, what's the big deal? Why would they look to accuse Jesus in this particular moment? It all had to do really with the day. The Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, were jealous, really, of the attention that Jesus was getting. They wanted to take away his influence. He was starting to gather a crowd. This was early in his ministry. He's starting to get people that are paying attention to him. And I think there was probably a sense of jealousy. There was also a sense of protectionism. They were trying to take away his growing influence. They, they felt that they could do this if the religious people knew that Jesus was a fraud. If they could point out that Jesus was a fraud, the people would stop following him. You see, Jesus, we know, showed up in Jewish culture. His work on the earth was primarily to a Jewish culture. It was done to a Jewish people, and so the Jewish leaders were concerned because he was starting to create a stir among this very uh, well-established religious order. And so they wanted to demonstrate and show that he, in fact, was not a Jew by showing that he violated the Jewish law. And so in Luke chapter 6, when it says that on another Sabbath... Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there with the right hand who was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So I'll need you to stay with me a little bit. For those of you who don't like history, it's going to sound like the teacher from Charlie Brown for just a moment. But let's do a quick lesson on the significance of the Sabbath to the Jews Why did this matter so much to them? See, when God created the world, the Bible says he rested on the seventh day. For six days he spoke and he created the world that you and I enjoy. It would be on the seventh day that God would cease from creating and he would demonstrate for us the principle of rest. We see the Sabbath was established in this principle of the second that, that's found in the second chapter of the book of Genesis when God rested on the seventh day finishing his creative work. And so because of this, God blessed the Sabbath and sanctified it. And the Bible says he set it apart that seventh day. It's not until Exodus chapter 16 that the seventh day was divinely prescribed as a day of resting from the harvesting of manna. In Exodus chapter 16, 23, it says, Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay it up for yourself. All that remains to be kept until the morning. And so God establishes with that covenant people a day called the Sabbath. And so then God's people have this established day called the Sabbath, and God again punctuates this idea when in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, the Sabbath becomes the focus of the fourth commandment. Keeping this day holy required that the Israelites finish their week's work by the end of the sixth 
day. So that the seventh could be a day in which men abstain from the normal occupations of the other six. So in Exodus chapter 31, the keeping of the Sabbath was declared to be a sign of the Mosaic covenant with the death penalty prescribed for any violator of this covenant. So Exodus chapter 20 verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, your male servants, female servants, cattle, stranger within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the Sabbath. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. That's a little bit of how the Sabbath was introduced to the people of Israel. And so throughout the Old Testament, further clarification was given regarding the keeping of this commandment. We have seen through the Old Testament an ongoing clarification and expansion of the Sabbath commandment. All the way through, history tells us the 400 silent years between the two testaments where it seemed that God's word was silent between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was more detail and more consideration given to this Sabbath. And the Jewish scholars and religious leaders and scribes and Pharisees put parameters on what the Sabbath actually meant. And they sought to clarify the Sabbath commandment. And a large body of teaching regarding the interpretation of the Sabbath thus began to emerge just before Christ arrived and during the life of Jesus Christ. And so these interpretations were preserved and passed on through oral tradition and then later put into writing. The law lays it down that the Sabbath day is to be kept holy and that no work is to be done. And this is a great principle except on Sunday when Chick-fil-A is closed. (laughs) But these Jewish legalists had a passion for definition. They wanted to define what the Sabbath was. So they asked the question, what is work? Teenagers asked that same question. (laughs) What is work? So all kinds of things were classified as work. For instance, to carry a burden on the Sabbath day is to work. But next, a burden had to be identified. So the scribal law lays it down that a burden is food equal in weight to a dried fig or enough wine for mixing in a goblet, milk enough for one swallow, honey enough to put upon a wound, oil enough to anoint a small wound or water enough to moisten the eyes, paper enough to write a customs house notice upon, ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet, read enough to make a pen and so on, endlessly defining what work and burden meant. So they spent hours, endless hours, arguing whether what a man could and could not do on the Sabbath, so not to violate the law to not work on the Sabbath. They would say that you, they would decide, could you or could you not lift a lamp from one place to another on the Sabbath? Whether or not a tailor committed a sin if 
they went out with a needle in their robe. Whether a woman might wear something, a brooch or even false hair, was that considered work? Even if a man might go out on the Sabbath with artificial teeth or an artificial limb, was that considered work? A man might lift his child on the Sabbath. Never lifted a child on the Sabbath. That's a fact, Kristen said. It's the Sabbath. I don't lift children on the Sabbath. These things to them were the essence of religion. Their religion became a quest for rules and failed to find the intention of God. We can hardly be surprised then to find a head-on collision between the scribes and the Pharisees and our Lord over the issue of Sabbath. The gospel writers record numerous occasions when the Jewish leaders clashed with Jesus over the interpretation of Sabbath. Almost always this resulted from an incident in which the Lord, quote-unquote, violated the Sabbath, according to the legalistic teachings and interpretations of the scribes and Pharisees. So Jesus walks into that synagogue. And again, they're jealous. They think he's a fraud. And so here on this day and in this moment, this is going to be the time that they pin on him that he is in violation of the law. And so they're going to use the Sabbath. But in verse number 8, the scripture says, but when Jesus knew their thoughts... He said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he arose and stood there. See, the picture, Jesus had stood up to teach. Everybody else was seated. Now, I don't know where he was seated in this room. I don't suppose that even the room might have even been this large. It might have been smaller, but he was seated somewhere. And Jesus said, Come near. Now, we know from Jesus' other miracles that Jesus could have easily healed him from where he was. But on this particular day, Jesus makes an emphasis to say, come and stand here. Jesus invites him to proximity with him. He was going to demonstrate to those religious leaders that he was not afraid to be in proximity to this man with the withered hand. He was not intimidated at all by their accusations. He was not intimidated at all by their thoughts. He says, I want you to come up here with me. Now, you could almost say that Jesus was going to tell them, this man's going to teach you a lesson. And Jesus invites him to relationship to stand. And I would dare say today that in spite of our deficiencies in life, in spite of our own brokenness in life, there's not one of you in this room 
who has ever experienced the love, grace, and mercy of God that Jesus didn't say, come and stand here. I know you're off the side and I know that you're broken, but I'm inviting you to come into proximity with me. I'm inviting you not to just merely be an example and to be a show, but I'm going to allow you to actually teach something to others. And so this man, in spite of what he came to the table with, with that broken Arm, Jesus invites him to stand with him. And so God sees those deficiencies. And I don't know how this man woke up that morning. I don't know if he knew what was on the agenda for God. But he was really powerless. As I mentioned, he was not just with a withered hand. He had a withered right hand. The right hand signifying and most were right-handed. If a child started using their left hand, they were corrected to use their right hand. But it represented power. It represented the ability to do things. And so his right hand, his ability to do anything was crippled. And Luke points that out for us. And I think that it would be important for all of us to understand, to realize we are powerless without the help of Jesus Christ. Nobody walked into this church today having never repented of their sins and brought something worth to God, something of value. All of us, all of our righteousness, as the Bible says, is as filthy rags in his sight. We all walk in here today crippled and broken, but Jesus invites us to proximity with him. In spite of our faults, he says, come and stand here. In spite your failures, come and stand here. And then the plot shifts now back to the religious leaders. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? This is a question he knows they're trying to wrestle. They're trying to get him, get him with this idea that he's violating the Sabbath. And if you read the context in Mark, just prior to Jesus entering into this particular Sabbath, he has a discussion with this same group about the lawlessness of picking grain from the field on the Sabbath. And Jesus' disciples were hungry and they took grain from a field. And to the Pharisees, this was a violation of the law that the disciples were working, they were picking grain. But Jesus knows that they are intently watching him to see if he will perform another quote-unquote work on the Sabbath. And he's going to mess with their established rules. But this question is interesting because he flips the question on them. Basically what Jesus is saying is if I have the ability to do good, and I don't do it. It's as if I've done evil. Think about that now. He's saying that if I have the ability to do good. And I do not. It's as if I have done evil. Which is better? I have the power to heal this man. Or not heal this man. 
Is it better for me to help him or he says to harm him? It wasn't as if Jesus was going to cause the other hand to be withered. It's just that he was not going to fix what he could fix. Which is better, to do good or to do evil? See, James kind of has this same scenario in mind for us. See, we think, well, I have some good things I could do, but if I don't do them, oh, well. James said, no, that's not a good way to consider the good things that God wants you to do. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be filled, be warmed without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it is, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James said, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. It's this question of we have something good to offer the world. And if we're silent, if we're not engaged, if we're not doing it, I believe that God is saying that you're doing actually harm to people. And that's a weighty statement to think about. That James tells us, if I have the ability to help somebody, it's not good enough for me to just say, I'm praying for you. I go back to my message last week, it's good. We have a lot of good things that could happen through the Calvary Church, and I'm, I'm challenging us a little bit today that it's more than just saying, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. It's got to be something that says, I can't just stand around when I have the capacity to help. I need to help somebody. And so Jesus speaks to these religious leaders. And then after looking around at them, all he said to him, the man with the withered hand, is stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. We realize that God has the power to overcome our weakness. When we are powerless, God is powerful. That's why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so then the next verse tells us, but they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. When you read other passages, they were literally plotting to kill him. Ironically, they're plotting to kill him on the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath. They were intent on doing harm rather than good. They were looking to destroy life rather than save life. Today, I'm not going to argue 
that the Sabbath is on a Saturday or a Sunday. Today, my point is not even to try and get you to set aside time to trust God with one day a week, although that's a a great goal. What I feel compelled to challenge you with is to ask you, what day is God allowed to work in your life? See, I think that the plot, that both plots that Jesus uses speaks to us. For the Pharisees, God could work on every other day except for Sabbath. But Jesus said, you have misunderstood the purpose of the Sabbath. For the modern church, I'm afraid we have a similar problem but maybe even a worse problem. We have chosen a day that we call the Lord's day. This is the day we have chosen for God to do his work. The other six belong to man. But not only do I have the potential like the Pharisees to limit God, I don't want to be a church with a withered hand. You see, this hand was there in the synagogue, but it was withered. It was there in the house, but it could not reach. It was there, the hand was there, but it could not touch. The hand was there, but it could not Embrace. It was there, but it could not give. And I don't want to be the Pharisee that limits God to a certain day. But I don't want to be the man with a withered hand that's in this midst but can't really help anybody. And so Luke tells us that Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Come. And stand here. And the man with the withered hand rose up and he walked to the front. I want to encourage our church this morning that we need a church that is in close proximity to God. It's not enough to just sit on the sidelines and watch service go on and watch preaching go on and watch teaching go on. I feel God calling us in this season to stand and walk to the front and say, God, I don't have much to give you, but I want to be in proximity to you. It's not enough for us to come to church and and play patty cake with Jesus, uh, we need to realize that he's inviting us to a relationship uh, with him. He's saying, stand and come here. Stand and come here. Stand and get close to me. Because there's something that I've got 
for your life because I'm going to stretch that hand, that hand that was broken, that hand that was abused, that hand that was troubled, that hand that had a lot of loss in it. I'm going to stretch it forth. And what you thought was dead is going to come alive. What area of your life you thought was of no good and of no value, God's going to say, stretch it forth. There's something of value in it. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And so we need a church that's in close proximity to God. We need a church that doesn't just pray and fast at the beginning of the year. And I'm challenging this church. This is not on you. This is not an indictment on you. But I'm feeling compelled. I'm being pushed by the Spirit to offer and to invite us to say, don't stop being close to God. Whatever you signed up for prayer and fasting, let me tell you, it's working. Whatever you were doing to pray and fast, it's working. And we can't stop. We can't stop. We can't stop. Oh, hallelujah. We need a church that will stretch out its hand. We need a church that's willing to obey the word of the Lord. I've been praying for this church that we need a church sensitive to the spirit. We need a church that can hear the voice of God and a church that will say yes when he speaks praying for the gifts of the Spirit to operate freely among us. We need a church that has a powerful right hand. We need a church that can do something in this world and in this community. We need God's mind. We need God's word. We need God's hand. Let me speak sincerely and prophetically today. The Calvary Church is not going to be a Sunday-only kind of church. And here's my point today. I know I'm preaching to the choir today a little bit, but the Calvary Church is going to be an everyday church, an every single day kind of church. I feel the winds blowing at the Calvary Church. I feel a wave moving us towards the promises of God. I feel this sense that God is wanting to work outside of what we are accustomed to. And I don't want to be a church with a withered hand. And I don't want to be a church that locks God into just a Sunday only environment. I don't want to miss the power of God. Because we have set expectations for God that limit him because of our past experience. And so Calvary Church, I'm calling you to open your eyes to a God that's a Sunday through Saturday kind of God. I'm calling us not to limit God to a Sunday only experience. I feel the surge of the Spirit. These past few weeks, God has done some amazing things around these altars. But I want to remind you that it's not just around these altars that things are happening. I wanted to remind you today that I'm watching things happen on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. That we serve a God that is working every day.
And I don't want to walk in here on Sundays and think that that's all there is to experience from God. But when I get into my Monday, I want to say, God, you can work in my Monday. When I'm driving downtown to work, when I'm walking through the streets, when I'm going into the store, he's that kind of God. He's speaking every day. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. As I come to a close today in January, we set aside time to pray and fast. And I told you in January, I thought about calling it off. Just kidding. Because we saw great opposition. We saw great opposition to what God was trying to do, what I felt God was trying to do. We saw great struggle. Let me tell you that I've seen just and heard in the last few weeks amazing testimonies that I believe just scratched the surface of what God is going to do. I've heard testimonies of provision. Janice Reed told me about the provision God's brought in her life in the last couple weeks I've watched the construction of the daycare as God is providing. God is making a way through the daycare. I've watched God open doors, and many of you, most of you know the opportunity that we had. Over $220,000 worth of goods God put in our hands, the Calvary Church, to bless our community. And can I tell you, the community has taken notice. In the last few weeks, I have watched community leaders connect to our church and even our school. We have an amazing academy that is doing a work, not on Sundays, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And I applaud the staff and the teachers for the work that God's using you to do. Bible studies are being taught. People getting engaged in life groups and ministry teams, not on a Sunday only, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day of the week. I've heard testimonies of healings, God's miracles, God's glory showing up. It was Anthony Henson through a contact from Wellington Sanchez who had a friend in the hospital. And I knew that Anthony was going to go to the hospital to visit his friend from high school. And so I asked him to visit uh, Wellington Sanchez's friend who was in the hospital as well. So Anthony went into that hospital and started visiting with uh, Wellington's friend. And then through the timing of the Lord, I believe, he walks into the room of his friend from high school and his friend is crying. Him and his family uh, just had a baby. And the baby had a severe jaundice, if I'm not mistaken. And as he walked in, this, this friend is crying and crying and Anthony's asking him what's the matter. And he said, the numbers are coming in really bad. They're going up and up and up. And so Anthony said, let's pray right now. And he began to pray for him. And I don't know what the timing was, but within just a few minutes, the doctors walk in and say, we don't know what's happened, but the numbers are starting to come down. And his friend began to cry and called his dad on the phone and said, dad, Kenny has called, come, and he's prayed for us, and God is healing our baby. That wasn't on a Sunday. That was on a Thursday. We serve an everyday kind of God. We serve an everyday kind of God. 
Oh, hallelujah. You can remain standing with me. I want to preach and I want to declare to this church, we are not a Sunday-only church. We are not a Sunday-only church. We're an everyday church. We're an everyday-of-the-week church. Hallelujah. And I declare that there will be a day when we see miracles happen, not weekly, but daily. I declare a day that we will see healings, not monthly, but daily. I declare a day that we will see repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, not weekly, not monthly, but every day. Oh, hallelujah. So when does God speak? Every day. When does God care for people? Every day. When does God love us? Every day. When does God heal? Every day. When does God reach for people? Every day. When does God restore people? Every day. When does God supply our needs? Every day. When does God have mercy? Every day. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And let me tell you, today is that day. Today is that day. If you've come into this room crippled and broken, I don't know if it's a physical ailment or if it's a mental struggle or if it's a tragedy in your life or some kind of broken mess, I'm telling you the God of every day is in this room today. Oh, hallelujah. And my invitation for us today is that we would hear the call of Jesus that says, come and stand here. Come and stand here. Bring your brokenness. Bring your heart brokenness. Bring your confusion. Bring your doubts. Bring it here. And I'm going to take what's broken. And I'm going to say, stretch it out. Stretch it out. You got something to do for God. I'm going to pray for you and then I'm going to invite you to come. Lord, I pray right now for those in this room today. I pray right now for those, God, who maybe are sitting here today and maybe they don't quite know how their life can be used for your glory. Maybe they're struggling even now, wrestling with things in their life, not sure what the end is going to be. But Lord, you're speaking to us through your word. You're speaking to us through your word. God, that you are not afraid of our brokenness. You're not afraid, not afraid of our disease. You're not afraid of our handicaps and our mistakes. You're not afraid of our missteps, Lord. But you, you are more than willing to ask us to stretch forth our hand and bring healing to our life. God, I pray for those that are members of the Calvary Church. I pray, God, that we would not be afraid of every day. We would not be afraid to walk with you, to hear your voice, to listen for you every day. I pray for the gifts of the Spirit to operate freely among us. I pray for the gift of miracles 
signs and wonders. I pray, oh God, for the gifts of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, Lord. I pray for the gift of faith. I I pray for tongues, interpretation of tongues. I pray for healings and miracles, Lord. I pray for every gift, every spiritual gift, that it would not just be relegated to a Sunday morning, but God, there would be an everyday kind of spirit, every day in our life groups, every day where we're walking with our coworkers and our friends at school. I pray every day would be a day for the gospel to be preached. Every day would be a day for people to repent of their sins. Oh God, I pray for an everyday kind of spirit in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I want you to come today. I want you to come with confidence. I want you to come today and say, God, I'm going to stand in close proximity to you. Whatever you want to do in my life, however you want to use my life, God, I surrender it to you. I'm inviting you to come. I'm inviting everybody to come. If you're a guest with us, don't feel pressure. But I, I want you to come today and experience all that God has for you. God, I pray right now, God, if there's brokenness in body today, we're praying for a healing touch. We're praying, God, for miracles. We're praying, oh God, for your hand to move mighty. God, there are opportunities that we have yet to see and yet to explore, but you're gonna make us sensitive to the spirit today. Awaken our hearts. Awaken our hearts to the gospel. Awaken our hearts to the needs around us. God, open our eyes, open our eyes, open our eyes. That's it, pray. Pray for somebody in your life today. Pray for somebody in your life today. Pray for some ministry that God's put on your heart. Pray for some demographic of people that the Lord is calling you to. Pray today. Stretch forth your hand today. Stretch forth your hand today in confidence to say, God, you can use my life. You can use my life today. You can use my life today. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.